my mind, my heart, my body, and my soul is crushed. I'm crushed. I'm not okay. You know why I'm crushed, Zach? I'm going to tell you why. Tell me Even why. if you don't want to hear it. I'm crushed because HBO, in their preview of next week's episode, decided to confirm beyond a shadow of a doubt that Barristan Selmy is in fact dead. I don't know. I think he's just sleeping. At least give a man hope. He's one of the most beloved characters in the entire series. Hope like we have for Grey Worm, because Grey Worm wasn't in the preview as being a corpse. No, and he was also in the season trailer. Kissing the Sunday, right? Yeah. And so we know that didn't happen yet, so yeah. it looks like uh, <laughs> we got a little bit of confirmation early on as to who lives and who dies. Welcome well, to Game of Owns. We are obviously in the thick of it tonight. Episode 4, Sons of the Harpy, has aired. My heart is crushed, I will say again. <laughs> I don't know how to be now after that moment passed. <laughs> I don't. When the Listen, the story of Rhaegar, sing a song for me. Sing a song. The sword unsheathing when the bells were tolling. I, I felt, I was like, here we go. After the setup, after the, the reference of the tilt between him and Rhaegar, 19 years past, Lord Wed's tourney. I felt that we were going to see the wind move, the wind shake, Sir Barristan. Kill everyone. Everyone. But, I mean, I got nothing. I, have, I can't say anything else. I don't know what else to say, guys. It's hard to do an episode after a character like that is taken from us. And we didn't get the opportunity to really do that with Ned. And I feel like Barristan is a very comparable character to Ned. And I remember just thinking back to that particular scene at Baylor when Barristan had that knife just jammed right into his back. And it's just these pillars, these characters that really have held up the series. And Zach mentioned, we got mention of Barristan uh, during the scene with Sansa and Baelish in the crypts when they were talking about the tourney at Harrenhal. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was very... It, not that it set it up for what was to happen later on. I should have known it was coming. <laughs> that you had Rhaegar defeating Barristan in this tourney, and yet at the end of the episode you have Barristan, who is serving yet another Targaryen, mm-hmm be defeated by those who are in opposition to her. So not exactly a direct parallel, but maybe you could have guessed that something was going to be up a little bit later on. I just got really nervous when he started to go on that walk. uh, And right. You knew that it wasn't going to end well. Not me. See, I was excited. I, I, here it is. It's time. We've, we've been told references throughout our readings throughout the show when when Jamie was speaking to his cousin, when he was locked in uh, Rob Stark's cell during the War of the Five Kings, and he was speaking to his cousin that he murdered, and he was saying, "You know, I was I was Sir Barristan's squire," and he was talking about never seeing anyone move like that, and how he was an artist, and <laughs> how he was painting, but the only color he painted with was red. I felt I like love that. here we go, here it is, here's yeah, here's Barristan Selmy in the service of Daenerys Targaryen. And he 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 is he will be the one to save Grey Worm, or something, put an end to the to the harshness. This obviously planned 
situation heavily set up. And if the bloodshed does parallel the entrance of dragons, and if Daenerys becoming angry and doling out justice and the way she chooses brings forth the dragons, I can only assume we've we've seen these first four episodes now, people. Right. Right. The press release copy had four episodes. Four episodes leaked to the internet. So after these next two episodes that we record, moving into next week's version of this, it'll be our first glimpse at truly unknown in season five. And I believe it is going to be fucking wild. It's going to be Brian Cogman's first episode of the season. He's a, oh. he's a massive fan favorite. We've had him on the show a couple of times. He's a great guy, co-producer of the show, and writes some of the most magnificent episodes. And I am beyond excited to see what happens following all of this. Absolutely. I mean, Barristan picked the wrong day to go for a walk, the wrong alley, until he was actually able to... I mean, this is his calling. He died doing what he was bid, um, his duty. And painting, he he still saved, as we see Grey Worm uh, lives on, or will live on, and was not as injured as he himself was. But he died defending Daenerys's... He died defending her her rule, I think, her her reign, the fact that she wanted the Sons of the Harpy dealt with, but and and that they were in opposition to her forces. He died the fact that he died just to protect an uns uh yeah, an unsullied soldier as well, of which there are, you know, seven thousand nine hundred and ninety five more, um, is is really fitting as well. He's sort of a champion of the one man kind of thing. I just don't know what else to say, but I, I'm still a, a little shocked by it. Yeah, and I mean, if if all of the characters that we love on this show get the same send-off, uh, or the same type of, you know, characters talking about them before they die, and then they actually die, you know, that that's, mm-hmm. I, I'm saying it's more than we can hope for, for, for surely there are more deaths to come in this season, but um, this was... You think? This episode was the first for me, was of like... Yeah, we're going to start seeing this a lot more often, but it was sad, but it was I think it was right. It was done really well. It hurt. Yeah, it did hurt. And and one thing to say to the listeners right now is you're you're actually experiencing with us this sort of raw emotion of a character that we all really liked being taken away from us at the end of this episode with no real warning whatsoever. And I know I mentioned Ned earlier and I couldn't help but think his death is in many ways in the same kind of manner uh, that that Ned's was because Barristan is just walking down the streets of Marine and is, you know, thrust into this fight of, you know, of his own accord. I mean, he makes the conscious decision to go mm-hmm. and to face the Sons of the Harpy. But of course, of course. You would expect that a man like Sir Barristan would not be killed in this sort of fashion, in a back alley somewhere right. on the streets of a slaver city by a bunch of rebels, rebels, or, or you know, f- for lack of uh, a better term, I was going to use another rebel word, but scum. I'm glad that I didn't. Yeah, rebel <laughs> scum. And, and <laughs> the same thing with Ned. You, you wouldn't expect for him to die the way that he did on the steps of Baylor, mm-hmm. not with a sword in his hand, defending his honor. This reminds me of a quote from Burt Cooper, in an episode of Mad Men, The Beautiful Girls, when Don's secretary, Ida, passed away during the episode and uh, they were working on what to say about her. 
Actually, I think this was the following episode. And he said she was born in 1891 in a barn, died on the 22nd floor of a skyscraper. She's an astronaut. A beautiful line and wow, fitting in this situation as an analogy to say, pivoting off what you said, Micah, you know, one of the most legendary warriors in Westerosian history dying at the hands of rebels in an alleyway, saving a comrade, protecting a comrade uh, against many odds and it being in such a separated place. Like it, what it took for him to be here, having a lifelong vow as a member of the King's Guard, serving multiple kings dutifully and honorably. And then the way he was cast out, you know, ending this way, it's almost the opposite of Ida's story from Mad Men, where he's, I feel like he, it was Declanus. Like it, it's not the same. I don't want to say that it's beneath him because he, he's carving his own path. He carved his own path and he chose to do this. And depending on whatever happens in Daenerys' story, it will be or not be worth it. And, um, I don't know. I feel like this show does such good representation of re- realness and reality. The sound, the sound design in, the, in these scenes, it hurt all these stabs, uh, these backstabs, these slices, these hamstrings. Yeah. He's hamstrung yeah. at one point before he stabbed to the side. Uh, it hits you. Uh, whether you're watching through a laptop, through headphones, or watching on a television, uh, hopefully one day these will all be available in IMAX. It hits you, and, and yeah. you, you feel it. And... And and that helps to 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 bring about the 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 nervousness of him walking into this alleyway. It's not to say that he's this much better prepared for fighting because he's so amazing that he could just walk through and Luke Skywalker everyone or <laughs> or Yoda everyone. He did take down lots of them. That that lots needs to be said. Yeah. But another note of this show's realness is I'm sorry at one point. You have to realize that if you're walking into an alleyway full of people that are holding blades either in their hands or on the end of a stick, at some point, someone's going to get a few jabs in on you. Mm-hmm. And those are going to, going to be mortal wounds. They're going to slow you down and bring you to your knees. And that's unfortunately what happened to both Grey Worm and Barristan. Mm-hmm. And Barristan didn't have any armor on either. Maybe exactly. if he did, that would have saved right. a, a few of those jabs that made their way into his body. Still, the fact that he was able to get on, uh, get over so many men, and the fact that he and Grey Worm together combined were able to get rid of each of their their enemies before themselves uh, collapsing, is really a, a cool feat. We we saw the last great fight of this uh, Zach, as you said, painter, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. This artist who was famous from the Tourney days and was, uh, as you said, cast out. But he died defending this dynasty. He died for the Targaryens. And that's interesting because here's the man who Ned Stark pointed out uh, right when they're, when they're uh, in front of the Iron Throne. And he said, uh, your honor is, is uncontested, sir. Come and you know, read this, this, this letter. And Ned Stark looked up to him. And here's this man who died defending Danny. I think it really, the fact that he chose in his later years to support Danny um, really shows or, or like says something. I mean, I think he was Danny's best supporter in terms of here's a man who made it in Westeros. And, you know, I, I think he's, he's just the most important supporter that, that she had. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jorah is just a slaver. Like Jorah, you know, he's nobody. And, and Dario is a sellsword. But Barristan, he was a knight several times over. It's, it's a shame that she doesn't. He was have Kingsguard him too until Joffrey decided mm, yeah. to dismiss him. And I think now the question 
that we all want to know is how is his death going to impact Daenerys? It mm-hmm. seems like now oh, she's going to reopen those fighting pits uh, and allow these citizens of Marine to really go at each other. And oh. I can't help but wonder if Hisdar Zolorak had anything to do with oh, come what we saw in today's episode. Because... He's he's there before her for probably what's the hundredth time trying to convince her to reopen these pits. And what better way to do that than to have a massacre in the streets? And I don't think it had the intended consequences of Barristan dying. There's no way he could have foreseen that. But uh, given the results of what took place, I think she's going to have a change of heart. And it really makes me want to question his character and what his true motives are in all of this. It was opportune, to say the least. A meeting with so many dignitaries seems like a grand illustration of that situation versus <laughs> what seemed to be a very strategic, uh, large movement, probably the largest so far uh, from the Sons of the Harpy. Now, I'm not sure if we're meant to to be paranoid of, of Hisdar at this point, but I, I started to feel that way um, early on this season, and yeah. it's almost cemented now. When, when Dario said... I think I can protect her from Hisdar Zolorak. And she very aptly said, I think I can protect myself from Hisdar Zolorak. Like, funny, but it created the situation in which Barristan, you know, separated and went off on his own. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. that's that's just fate and how the stars were aligned. But using our snoop tactics and, and paying <laughs> close attention analytically to the show, keep in mind, everyone listening, you know, this is sort of, the eulogy of Sir Barristan Selmy. <laughs> and it's happening because it, we, we, we just watched the show and we don't, we don't go into these with structure and plan segments. These are, these are our conversations directly following things that happen or, or whether or not it's, it's a reading or whether it's the show. And, uh, that's just how I feel right now. I feel like, um, I hope that if this guy is part of what's causing all of this to happen, that there's some serious retribution, but yeah. I think I think the, the largest the largest thing to look forward to next week is going to be Danny's reaction to this. Losing yeah. Sir Barristan Selmy, Grey Worm going under the knife like he did, losing her people on top of that. I do not think it's going to be nice. And I am cheering heartily and haughtily for whatever will happen. Yeah, her fury will be something a terrible force to be behold. It's interesting you say, Micah, that she's going to reopen the pits. I, I didn't have an impression either way, but if she does, I think she'll probably put Hisdar, the Sons of the Harpy, at, like up for the first fight. Yeah, you go I mean, for if it. She, yeah, if she has any, if she has any saying, she says, you one of these to be, you know, to be reopened and tradition, yeah, 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 well, you're going to fight in them or something just to get rid of him. Because I think now she will have been, she'll be crestfallen. She'll be, she will no longer value the people that are under her. She will think that they are just this rowdy bunch who cannot be, you know, tamed, who need a, who need a fight, essentially. She's like, fine, you want to destroy yourselves? Fine, what do I care? People I love are dying. Remember, as the season moved on, Barristan, and really up until this point in the past season, mm. Barristan was her voice of reason. She was the He was the reason why the son of the harpy that was killed and by Masador was even considered to be put on trial rather than to be executed himself. Right. And with him gone... Where's that voice of reason? Dario supports the fighting pits being reopened. Jorah's not there. 
Mosador is not there. <laughs> well, yet <laughs> Jorah's on it's his interest- way back. Jorah right. is on yes. his way back, Swiftly. and this is this is the sad part of the whole thing. Is I, I I was looking at what was happening in this episode with Jorah and Tyrion, and now Danny's obviously short one of her uh, council members. At least one. Let's not assume Grey Worm is alive. Yeah, yeah. He, and if he is, he's certainly going to be incapacitated for a while. Yeah, he was, I don't he see was him hit recovering very quickly from those injuries. No, they need Kyburn. They need to just, you know, <laughs> like no, Tywin no, put I'm out an so order sure for a good Valerian Steelsmith. They need to put out an order sure for we'll a good able-bodied, capable maester to bring yeah. Barristan back. Part of me actually wonders if Jorah making his way back to Daenerys actually was a factor in the showrunners making the decision to kill off Barristan. It's almost as if Jorah will take the place of him in some way. I'm sure he's going to have to prove himself to her uh, in some capacity, but knowing that Barristan is not dead in the books, and I think it's fair game to talk about that a little bit, we heard, of course, there were whispers, rumors going around before the season premiered that there were going to be characters who were killed off this season who were not yet dead in the books. And we don't mm. know what that means. We don't know if they will in fact die at some point or they'll live to the very end. But the showrunners see the value in taking out characters uh, for different reasons. And my guess is that they did what they did here because it allows Jorah a more seamless transition to come back to the side of Daenerys and serve her uh, for the foreseeable future. It certainly makes room for Jorah, and whatever will happen with Tyrion mm. will happen. But it doesn't. It doesn't hurt to say that Daenerys's council has slimmed significantly, and she could use a few more mm-hmm. able minds around her, especially with all of these walls falling down. I hope that Drogon returns. Hope she climbs on the back <laughs> for the of council him <laughs> and melts. Yeah, yeah. First off, for the Drogon council. attending small council meetings. Yes, like please. Dragonheart. He has the voice of uh, yeah. Sean oh, Connery. Sean Connery. <laughs> and uh, they they destroy everyone. I'm I'm not happy about this. Curse you! I'm, make, I'm standing on a stump right now. Curse you for making my heart hurt. This is a story in a television show. And when that camera tilted up, the music dimmed. This was just before it broke to black for the end credits. Mm-hmm. And I saw the carnage and the mayhem. No, no. <laughs> that's all. I, I, that's there were a lot of tweets that said that too. Good. Just those Good. two letters over and over Good. again. No, 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 no. Uh, I'm I'm looking at it right now. I'm just taking a peek at what you're all saying. And first off, uh, can't wait to get to these because this this there's a lot of emotion this week, more That'll so than we've seen in the yeah. following week. So yeah, can't wait to get to these on our next episode this week. But uh, everyone's pissed. Everyone's pissed. Everyone's emotional. A TV show, a story is doing this to us. You're listening to uh, this podcast and you're filling it with us. Let's just soak it in, everyone. <sighs> Ruminate, marinate. We mentioned Jorah earlier. He's on a bit of a quest now with Tyrion mm-hmm. on a boat. Right. There were a lot of boats in this episode. There were there a were. lot of boats. Yeah. There were. Since how people get to a lot of Lannisters on boats. Oh. There were a lot of Lannisters on boats. So what do we think about these two new traveling companions? And I'm not talking about Bronn and Jamie yet. I'm talking about Jorah and Tyrion. Um, <laughs> Amazing. It was, it was, yeah, it was funny. Um, 
that Tyrion was able to annoy Jorah into loosening his... (laughs) I didn't see the the fight last night between uh, Mayweather and Pacquiao, but... I watched it. I heard that... Was it Jamie Foxx sang something? Is that true? He did. Well, I saw a tweet that we got that said Tyrion nagging Jorah sounded better than Jamie Foxx singing last (laughs) night. Is that accurate? It was on mute at that point because uh, there were festivities happening. Oh, obviously, well, when uh, people pay hundred dollars to watch something, they usually throw a party surrounding it. Yeah, so that that's happened. true. And mute that's the true. television. <laughs> yeah, it was muted before the festivities began. Uh, yeah. You know, before the actual bout. But I, I think we did ask uh, previously if Tyrion would pretty much use his same bag of tricks that we're used to him using in in a situation like this where he's uh his hands are bound Lord. yep it's it no really doubt. reminds me of of the whole eerie thing i mean how he basically and in the books it's it's done even uh more successfully where he sort of talks his way into everyone's favor even catlin is like oh man i know his brother like tried to kill my son but this guy's witty and really like kind of enjoyable um, and we just wonder if he's he's able to talk his way out of out of everything the way that the way that he is. And you know he was very sharp, Tyrion, for 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 being able to figure out pretty much everything about Jorah. And I wonder if Jorah made it a little too easy for him to do that because he still has his old bare <laughs> yeah. breastplate. Uh, yeah, you know, and, <laughs> that and all sigil of will do it. Yeah, he very clearly like wears his heart on his sleeve, and Tyrion's able to pick apart the pieces. So I don't know if that is Tyrion being smart, Jorah being stupid, or a little bit of both, but. The fact that Tyrion is able to so quickly deduce what Jorah is up to and what queen it is that he's taking him to, which, again, I didn't have any um, thoughts to the contrary. I just like the line, Westeros is west. <laughs> west. Westeros is west. We're heading east. Yeah. Now, he, he was disarming, and that's part of his uh, part of his scheme. You know? His charm. He established, well, charm, yes, I. but there was, there was a... There was a process to this. The first thing he said, he was like, who are you? Your captor. Do you have wine? You know, he establishes a rapport early on and keeps it casual and then moves it into to something. Uh, rather than, you know, shouting and, and being ridiculous, he, he's casual and kind of gets in his, his brain a little bit. Yeah. Which, I mean, he doesn't know Jorah like we know Jorah. So we're just sitting and watching like, oh, this will be good. I know Jorah Mormont. If you hadn't met Jorah before, you would think he's a drunk, angry man who just punches Something. people. Yeah. yeah, pretty silent, too. Yeah. I was expecting a retort, and then he just stood up and punched Tyrion. I'm like, Amazing. oh, that's, that's, yeah. as good, that's as good a retort as we're going to get. An excellently served backhand right across the face. There was some yeah. knuckle involved. Hashtag backhand. It was less uh, violent than what he did to the fisherman at first, but at least he paid that. Yeah, man. what did that fisherman ever do to Jorah? Jeez. He had a boat. That's what he did. He had a boat. At, at least, least he paid, paid him, him for the boat. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. paid for the boat. So, you know, not too Ajura bad. always pays his debts. Diplomacy. <laughs> hey, he's Jorah's a well known for island, it. Okay. Across the I support, world. Uh, he's, he's a respectful man. Mm-hmm. Gosh. I, 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 Tyrion uh, did tip his hand a little bit when he asked to be. Well, actually, he lifted his hands to, <laughs> to, yeah. to, to untie. He's like, oh, we're friends now. We're seeing as how we're all, you know, for the <laughs> same, same side. <laughs> same side. Go, Team Danny. It is interesting because I'm wondering what Varys is doing uh, while these two are, are on Freaking the Freaking out. Yeah. I don't know, guys. I don't know. This is all a little suspicious to me. You, you think Varys is responsible for this? I think so. Look at it this way. What we know of Jorah Mormont, I've been thinking about this over the past week. 
what we know of him, why would he be, I know that he's down and out right now, but why would he be in this brothel and this place at this time? Just of all times that Tyrion Lannister is yeah. going to be there. And why would the first thing he thinks, why, why would, why would that be, oh, that's Tyrion Lannister. That's him. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, obviously they've mixed. So there's that. But if he were, if he was there on his own accord, I just I, I don't know. It, it, that of, kind of, of explains all the and all of the right. East. Yeah, but it, it explains how he you know you know went and captured him, and the first thing that he did would I'm going to take it. Like it seems like a snap decision, so that could explain it, or is it a snap decision? You know, mm-hmm. was this planned? Was he waiting for them? Where was Varys? What's Why did Varys allow, allow them to, to go there? Exactly, exactly. That's what I'm. That's I don't know. It just seems. Varys obviously wouldn't have told Tyrion, which means that we wouldn't have known because we don't have a Varys point of view chapter in the TV right. show. Right. And this could be the most efficient way to be... I mean, because like, how, does, how does Varys ride to Marine to the Great Pyramid, and, and call a court with the Dragon Queen, especially with all this danger happening? Varys, I feel like, is, is far too smart, far too intelligent to put himself in such a guess-worthy situation and not be sure of what's happening. Yeah, and also, I mean, I'm I'm thinking about the crimes that he could be accused of committing against Danny. Um considering oh, yeah. it's it's his whole spy network that mm-hmm. even facilitated whatever Jorah did, it Varys did like a hundred times uh of course. over. Um in terms of spying, keeping tabs and all that. And whereas he may uh profess his love for the Targaryen cause and he's part of that society uh, including Illyrio, who are all like for them. Um, per, I, I guess I never suspected, but now that Tyrion is going it alone, I never expected that basically the Varys Tyrion journey would still be going, but that they would be separated. That Varys is going to continue supporting Daenerys, he just won't be there in person like Tyrion will be. I never really expected Varys to leave Tyrion in that position. He kind of told him what they were going to do, but I totally expected them to, you know, do it holding hands, basically. Right. I really um, like this theory. I just feel like it was naive for us to expect Varys to ride up to Marine and and settle comfortably on Daenerys' side. I just don't think that that would have happened. And if it did happen, it would have been more uncomfortable of a process than he would put himself in. He's way too smart for that. I know that he would technically get along and fit in with the Unsullied quite well, but I, <laughs> I, just, I just don't think that. He could be on uh, her small council, go from one small council to the other. She needs people. It's true, so but, it's Cersei, just, but it's a gamble, and I don't so think it's, it's a it's a calculated risk that he's that he's yeah. interested in taking. You know that he's had a rapport with Jorah before. Um, mm. It all it all makes more sense if it's happening mm. this way. He was mysterious theory. about it being the road to, the road to Volantis is the road to Marine. I don't know. I'm, I'm yeah. shrugging over here, but it makes more sense. And what does and that change? Why, Not much. Honestly, here's why I like it so much, though, because we know it's a complete departure from parts of the book right it, it oh, okay. it's, it's not we, we mentioned this on a previous episode and it's and it's not going down any road that's going to reveal you know wild new exciting information it's just that Tyrion is on the same path it's just you know, different plot and i think that from a show standpoint what zach's, zach's bringing up is a great way to kind of tie all of this together. You know, Jorah's sitting unsuspectingly inside this brothel in Volantis and who should happen to come through the door but Varys and Tyrion. Varys, who used to hold Jorah in his employ uh, not that long ago and 
they meet up and Tyrion but gets Varys captured. But Varys didn't want to stop. Varys didn't want to leave the wheelhouse, though. But he did. Well, he did. not only did he, but this was their stop. They were going yeah. to, at some point, get out of mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. wheelhouse, or whatever the fuck you want to call it. This fucking wheelhouse. Fucking wheelhouse. In Volantis. We just don't know where they were going to stop. And I think that it worked out well. If you're on the side that believes that Varys may have had a hand in all of this, and if not, then just kind of come along for the theory and enjoy uh, what Zach's created here, because I actually really like it a lot. I don't know if it makes lie. a difference, though, honestly. He's he's, he's, he's headed there or he's not headed there. Well, uh, That's it. I mean, the question for me is if, if Jorah was not who they were meeting, who who uh, Varys described as the road to Marine, is in Volantis, who was? Like, was it another one of Jorah, uh, Varys' associates? Um, in, for these purposes, because I, I want to know if there was you know, like another another method uh, of getting to Marine that Varys was going to take. And if that means if Varys will show up in Marine, like, do we think that that, that this is Varys done? Do we think that we'll see him still um, I'm sure in the will. East? And <laughs> under what circumstances? I'm not sure about that. It's, it's it, all very It's kind of like biting my tongue because Varys <laughs> is not the character that accompanies Tyrion on the road in the books. And so Varys has a completely different story and, and really kind of goes underground to your point. You know, he's, he, he goes rogue, you know, we don't really know much about him for a while. And I think that now here we are and he's, he's obviously a, a much more recognizable character. So similar to how we've seen things develop in other storylines, they tend to utilize, characters who are familiar faces and i think that that's not to say that Varys wasn't involved in in the planning of of Tyrion's you know travels he certainly was but uh i i just uh want to know more about where the two of these individuals are now going to travel they're in a boat and it's really not much of a boat in the middle of the Rhoyne which is a massive river uh they're presumably traveling to Marine and Tyrion better get his hands on Tide because those two are going to be hanging out for a while. It's not like he's going to go anywhere. He's not going to jump ship. He's not going to scream for help because who's going to help him? Anybody who, you know, he wants help from is probably going to turn him into Cersei. So these two are going to be best buds over the next couple of uh, episodes. You know, I look forward to seeing that. I really look forward to hardened Jorah who really is on a redemption quest, as I said before, falling for Tyrion. I look forward to those scenes, those bromance scenes. Um, or maybe the show will skip past them. I never know. Well, we certainly have that with Jamie and Braun. I think that uh, yeah. we're, we're getting our, our healthy serving of of Braun this season, which I'm I'm very pleased with. I loved the transition from one boat to the other. I loved the casual stabbing of his blade into a bag of grain. Uh, just wasteful, uncaring. Maybe that's why the captain turned on them <laughs> yeah, in the end. They Spilt destroyed his, grain his all over the floor. He was like, come on, this was at least two gold pieces. How telling was it, though, the conversation between Bronn and Jamie about Tyrion? Oh, gosh. And how really sincere Jamie seemed to be in his desire to kill his brother for what was done to their father. Yeah. Wasn't expecting that. No. 
I was murdered my father. If I ever see him again, I'll split him in two. And uh, I, I think he means it. I mean, I really do. I, I think it, it's interesting, though, because Tyrion really did put his family in a terrible position. And if you go back and look at it, I mean, Tywin had it coming, but it still it was for a personal grudge, right? It was for what Tywin did to Shay. It was for what Tywin did to him all his life, the trial, everything. I don't think there's really ever an excuse to to stoop to murder. I think it was one of his weaker moments. And uh, yeah. thinking of his family... It certainly did put them in a really horrible situation. I mean, that that is not to say that Tywin Lancer wasn't horrible. I mean, he was about to execute him just because it made more political sense, even though he knew that he had nothing yeah. to do with Joffrey's murder. <laughs> the Tyrell relationship or, you know, just the overall uh, setup that they had built since things came crashing after Robert died was more important to him than his relationship with or his son's life, for that matter. So mm-hmm. it was rough and, and it sucked. But at the end of the day, Jamie's angry because... Tyrion basically authenticated some of Cersei's horrible feelings that she's been tossing at Jamie behind Tyrion's back and also in front of him throughout their whole life. You know, like, for example, he killed our mother. Well, he didn't technically. He was a baby, but he killed our mother. Well, this time he actually killed their father. He, yeah. bro- he got out of jail with his help, so there's a sour taste in Jamie's mouth for being a part of it. And he put crossbow bolts into their father. So and, Jamie is is not pleased. Yeah, and you get these scenes where Bronn asks Jamie, "How would you like to die?" And he says, "Oh, in the arms of the woman I love." You know, if that means Cersei, um, then you get this situation where Jamie has left Cersei to go get their daughter back because of the situation that is far more hostile because of what Tyrion did. Um, and so Tyrion's res- you know responsible for all of the- what follows for the fact that Jamie and Cersei are now split up. And having to go it alone and basically Tyrion put them in this situation and there's just no love anymore between them. It could be Brienne. He did kind of have that long he did, look yeah. as what island, what, the what, Isle uh, of Tarth. What's that rock over there? What's, that was what's... smart. That was. I thought that was a great mechanic of the show, keeping their relationship tied together. And I think that it's telling to the future. I hope so, at least. It's tough. Hopefully that means both of them come out of whatever path they're currently on and it's setting up something for season six or beyond. That's my yeah, hope. Yeah, maybe. Or it could just be wishful thinking. It was, a, it was a great mechanic, like you said, by the show to include that. And I think that we have some really interesting pairings to watch this season. Varys and Tyrion seem to be mm-hmm. done for now. We have Tyrion and Jorah, and now we have Jaime and Bronn and... Just the fight scenes that took place, uh, there was... Violent episode. I liked it. <laughs> a bit of comedy to it, though, with the hand. Hell yeah. And yeah. It, it made me think about uh, Cersei's comment to him earlier in the season when she asked him if this one-armed man was going to go by himself all the way to Dorne, and yet his one hand, or actually his other hand, came into play and ended up saving his life there. Yeah, no, it was great. They were on the shores of Dorne, uh, <laughs> filmed last summer at Port Stewart Strand in Ireland. Ooh. Very heavy traffic tourist destination. I've been really excited to see uh, this footage finally. And uh, we have Braun saving Jamie's life again uh, with the snake, I guess for the first time this episode, I suppose. Oh, uh, yeah. Cooking them breakfast. Maybe that's the second time he saved Jamie's life this episode. A delicious, hearty breakfast. And uh, yeah, they have the conversations about... The shit ways to die, which I agree. I think dying in any way is probably shit. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of rough. And it was just, it was just picturesque, you know. Even Braun said it. He was like two nights off to rescue a princess. 
Like sounds like a good <laughs> song to me. Like yeah, it sounds like a video game. It sounds like a book series. It sounds like a television series. Uh, the list goes on. Zelda esque. Exactly. Except well, yeah, I, I suppose yeah. If it was like a, a nice co op experience, one of them could be Tingle in this case. But they got Epona. They do. They finally have a steed that can ride day and night. They freedom from Lon Lon Ranch. They freedom from In- Ingo from Lon Lon Ranch is an angry place. Mm-hmm. I am obviously I someone. Idea. Yeah, sorry, Eric. <laughs> obviously someone was tipped off. Uh, four men with scimitars rode upon, and uh, this scene was very. I don't know if anyone's watched Trailer Park Boys, but the scene was very reminiscent, reminiscent to Trailer Park Boys for me uh, when the protagonist Ricky gets in trouble with the police that he he does very often he always has like a really nice story he's like I'm glad you're here he just sp- spins it on them and he's, so basically he's like hey I'm glad you guys are here we're you know we we've been looking for some help essentially there were sharks things were rough uh, it's good that you're here there's no there were there names again it's like I'm Bob and that's Joe yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is basically what he said we're from uh, Flea Bottom, just out here getting our kicks, sailing the door to this countryside, <laughs> and our boat went down, and they're like, I don't know, you guys seem, that guy's pretty handsome, I think he might be Jamie Lannister. <laughs> well, Braun had everything going really smoothly until Jamie brought up the sharks. They might have been dolphins, but either way, they tipped off the door. <laughs> yeah, that obviously uh, didn't work out. And uh, cue an excellent fight scene. We got that kind of really foreboding shot on Jamie. It was as if they freeze-framed Tarantino style and put huge text on the screen. Jamie's first fight. Prove yourself. No, I mean, it's it's great to get uh, insight into where Jamie's at fighting-wise because we know that they've been training, but you just don't know until you really, you know, you never know until you really get into it. And, uh, you know, uh, props to Jamie because... Bron asked him, how many do you think he could take? And he said, one, if he's slow. <laughs> and Bron slows the guy down by having his horse fall on him. He says, he should be slow enough. That one should be slow yeah. enough. <laughs> and he does it. And he, he kills him. So, I mean, obviously a little bit of luck was involved. But and they're parrying, they're fighting, and you're concerned for, for Jamie. Yeah, it, it worked out. It worked out. Jamie killed one, and, and Bron killed... I, I only saw him kill two, I guess, the third one he got uh, off screen when, when Jamie was fighting, but... Bron killed the rest, so go for them. As long as they only have groups of four men attacking them at a time, they'll be fine on this yeah. rescue mission. It, this reminded me so much of his encounter with the Hound before the Battle of Blackwater, when the Hound was telling Bron that he's just like him, that he loves oh, yeah. having sex and he loves drinking, but killing is his favorite thing. And Bron's mood after this was just extremely elevated. They weren't talking about death. He was cracking jokes. And, uh, yeah, you know, I've right. always wanted a Dornish Stalin. It was just, uh, it's just, he certainly had a lift. I think it was just what he was needing. Until That's good the, uh, continuity. I love that you pointed that out. Until the digging had to happen, though. So oh, Jamie yeah, yeah, right yeah out the of digging. Mm. Which is smart. The birds need to eat, too. I hate to give away an own beforehand. Uh, I believe this will be my own. I just have to mention it since we're talking about it. But when uh, when, when he walked away, one of the, I mean, beautiful brilliant jamie's rolled down the hill jamie stabbed the man he's panting and he's like uh eh. he's like say something like jamie's like it was luck after Braun was like nice kill and he just walks away casually he's like you had a wonderful teacher Braun just has the best one-liners can we go back actually and just talk really quickly about Braun killing the snake just before it was about to bite jamie and then how they ate it for dinner i think, think that was a bit symbolic symbolic Maybe. Oh. I see. Maybe. Who knows? I see. Can, can Bron be counted on to slay all of the snakes that want Jamie dead? It was a snake in the sand, after all. It was a mm. sand snake. It was. 
It was not, however, as beautiful as the other three that we met. Oh, yeah, there is that. Ubera, um, Nim, hello, to your father. <laughs> well, you can't, but I'm here. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Obara, tell your father I'm here. Interesting uh, scene that we did finally get to, to meet these three sand snakes and Ilaria riding up to them. Dorn has not been featured enough this season yet. was looking very much forward to it. I look forward to... I mean, I really want what I really want is a whole episode there uh, to to really feel. I know it won't just happen. a Doran bottle episode. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know it won't happen, but uh, I, I feel like I'm liking what they've shown so far. But what they've shown is literally two scenes, so I, I do want to see more. It just made me want more. This whole scene made me it whetted my appetite for these girls and their story and how they're going to try and avenge their father, even though it's against uh, Doran's wishes. We got to see the guy. Uh, the, with the barrel on his head, though, from the from the trailer, so that was nice. And it turns out he's the ship's captain. Who, yeah, I knew it wasn't anybody we recognized. It did look a bit like from afar, Ferris? the guard from oh the guard the earlier uh, season uh, episode that we saw, mm-hmm. who was guarding, of course, Doran Martell. But it did end up being the captain, and I did mention on Twitter when I was uh, live tweeting during the episode that. <laughs> Obara did what Oberyn should have done to the mountain, and that was finish him. Right? Confirm, confirm the, the kill. kill. Thank you. <laughs> confirm confirm the, kill. the kill. Exactly. Well, she confirmed it. It was a nice toss. With all those years of practice, I feel like that is something – that was like a, a challenge from the Bozo the Clown show back in the day, throwing the balls in the bucket. She hit him. Mm. Very nice. Very, very nice. For all of you listening, this is the conversation where we talk about the Sand Snakes finally – being introduced to the Sullied Among You. This is a moment, long time coming for us. This is our first uh, dip into the water. For the Sullied, this was less than half of the Sand Snakes that are in the book. That's yeah. right. Oberyn was a busy man. <laughs> the three that we meet, Obara is the one who throws the spear through the captain's head. And had interrogated him previously? With scorpions and the sun, very hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, there was also uh, Nymeria, who's nicknamed Nim. Nim and Tyene Sand as well, mm-hmm. and those were the three that have been cast. There's five more, uh, which we'll read about at some point. But uh, it was really great to see this unification, though, amongst the Sand Snakes and Alaria, because it's telling you that they are going to be in agreement and joining forces in whatever plans Alaria has to. I'm not sure. It's something related to Marcella, and now she is aware of the fact that Jamie Lannister mm-hmm. is in Dorne. So <laughs> that's gonna be interesting. Trouble is a brewing. And how does Duran Martell and and Tristan Martell fit into all of this? Uh, it yeah. seems like Tristan and uh, Marcella have become very close, at least from the far shot we saw in the Water Gardens. Right. Uh, maybe she doesn't want to leave. Huh. Well, they don't need an army to start a war. That's why they buried <laughs> all the men and their horses. Uh, which was smart, but uh, it's a shame that people have already found out. News travels quickly. I mean, the, the fact that they already had the captain, who it seemed like Obara came across in Planky Town. Is that what she said? That sounds yeah. like a, a level from Banjo Kazooie. It does. It's exactly <laughs> what it I was going to like, say. Thank you. It reminded me a bit of Salvador Son, <laughs> but we know that our favorite. Uh, Pirate is safe somewhere. 
Mm. With coins and coins and coins. <laughs> I gave the coins to your wife. Wearing <laughs> some, some nice, tight-fitting brown pants. Just living his life uh-huh. in freedom. The dialogue was, was different than usual, if I felt. It was just uh, kind of everything was laid out on the table. I realized we had we had to meet all of them quickly, and quickly we did. We were obviously supposed to believe that they were all very cool, yeah. and it was very obvious that we were supposed to be very excited about them arriving in the show. And uh, I wish we would have spent more time with them to get to know their characters a little better. I'm sure that there will be time for that. It was just quick, very quick. Yeah, it was, and I think the initial rush of happiness and seeing the sand snakes was really just because they are a direct tie to Oberyn. And we've longed for that since we saw him last getting his head split apart by the mountain. And these sand snakes, at least Obara, I mean, she stood out to me uh, as maybe taking on some of the attributes and personality of her father more so than the other two. And, yeah. Well, she she got the monologue after all. Yeah, yeah about her father. The, the, the yeah. backstory, just just right there. Alaria is a is an obvious direct tie to her as well. But I'm sorry to Oberyn as well. But I just hope that, as you mentioned, we get to spend a little bit more time uh, with these three and see and learn exactly who they are and uh, what their purpose is going to be this season. If for nothing else, we can rest easy that Dorn has made it to the opening credits map at the beginning <laughs> yeah. of the show. I know people were wondering where it was the last time we were there, which is a little bit odd that they didn't include it, but it's there now and uh, it's not going anywhere. So uh, hopefully we see it many more times throughout uh, this season. High five. So we move now from being <laughs> all the way south in Dorne to all the way north at the wall. Nice. North as we'll go. What's this? We're talking about the wall on a Monday episode? No. <laughs> we, we refused to leave it off this time. There was too much stance. Yeah, we did. We did. We were like, ah, we got to talk it's about too it. Much you know nothing, Eric Skull. Oh, man. How do you feel, guys? The ghost of that our That was some past. creepy shit. How did she know to say that? Mm, that's what John was mm. thinking. That's what I was thinking. Talk about magic creeping back into the world. It's not like we ever questioned. <laughs> all right? A baby of shadow was born from her body. It's not like we actually questioned, but here it is. We're back at Castle Black. This is following. Remember, everyone, this is following, if you remember our two episodes last week, the beheading of Jano Slint. Our last episode was titled Fetches of Block for a reason. This was this is what we wanted to see. This is the follow-up. And John's train of the boys. Hands-on, that Lord Commander. Very hands-on. He has to sign his name on all the parchment, asking for people to send their men to. A lot of the the ins and outs of being Lord Commander in this episode. It is so gratifying to see these two, who began with such humble beginnings, not to be redundant, in the Night's Watch, sitting in the Lord Commander's office, doing the paperwork. (laughs) They've run this place now. How cool is that? That's pretty cool. It's also pretty, I don't want to say sad, but it, but, but uh, ominous in that they're down to, let's say, 50 men yeah. in this episode. And and, and that, that, to me, yes, like, it, yeah, it's super cool that John is Lord Commander, that Sam is his, you know, right-hand man who's going to go off and send the Ravens, but it's because everybody else is dead. Yeah, um, that's true. They got a pretty cool first ranger 
But other than that, it it really worries me that they are the numbers are so low. Micah, Sam is John Stavos. See what I did there? Oh, he is. I like it. Where like was that. Davos in this episode? Uh, in class know. with Gilly? I think Maybe. so. I think that they, think, yeah, yeah. they were learning. But Shireen was busy. This was this was good. This is fun. We got Stannis just adoring John from a distance. You think highly of this boy. And I love I love that because because his wife is, you know, Salise is probably I don't want to touch that right now. Salise is yeah, easier than a side step. Yeah, right, right. right. Michael loves a callback. Salise is Salise, and I love Stannis's response. He's like he shrugs and he's like He's Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. Yeah, I think highly of him. Look at him. I, why shouldn't I think highly of him? I just want every episode from now until John's death, I want people to walk into the room and be like, Lord Commander. Mm-hmm. Well, is- important also that she responded by saying that he was a bastard, and Stannis mentions that wasn't Ned's way. or wasn't Ned Stark's way. Right? Yeah. Bastard of some tavern I mean, wench. come on. Between everything that went on... With all of the Rhaegar? The Crips of Winterfell. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, these showrunners are trying to hammer a point home. I don't know what it is, but... Listen, listen guys. <laughs> if Rhaegar and Lyanna are not Jon's parents... I'm giving up. The gra- This could be the grandest of ruses. Because this is yeah. just... This is... this is It's there. And we're going... The, the talk of the winter rose. This, perhaps, but that wasn't Ned Stark's way. To... Lady Melisandre looking down when she says, you only need faith, my king, after Santa says, I need you mm-hmm. to her. And he asks her, you know, what do you need? And she goes, to serve my lord. And as she does, she's staring at John. Come on. Come on. You she think she's left? Lord do you think now. she's switched? Do you think she's no longer uh, Stannis's? Team Stannis? Girl. Yeah, about this whole thing. She needs to serve her lord. She's talking about the Lord of Light. She's not exactly. talking about Lord Stannis. Right. She, Did you yeah. see uh, the tweet? Micah, you're a machine tonight. How do you expect us to keep up with all of <laughs> Yeah, that? come on, man. Cyborg. I, I thought it was one of my better Skin ones. Job. It says, Melisandre looking down on someone like she's got a new lord. Hashtag ain't Rawler. Hashtag ain't Stannis. Uh, wow. It's a picture of Jon Snow. Uh, I just oh. imagine her skirting around the House of Black in a pair of Rawler no blades. No skirt. Fresh pair like of Rawler blades. Just... At least not in the Lord commander's office <laughs> what did you think about the line when she says to him there's power in you you resist it and that's your mistake embrace it give in to your anger I, th- I think he's embracing his power i think he's doing pretty good maybe his lord commander but i don't know that that's the power she's referring to of course she's talking about like a, an inner power that either comes from being a secret targaryen or secretly a stark or both something but yeah well but i i think he is is being true to his vow, right? He says, but that's not even it. He, like he turns her away um, because he says that he loves the one who died, that he loves Egret, that he still is in love with the girl who died, and that's why he won't be with her. But I think too, he does want to stay true to his his new. Now that he's Lord Commander, it's as important. He renewed his uh, vows. As he ever has been. <laughs> yeah, he renewed his vows. Essentially, you're right. So I think there's there's two reasons, but. The fact that she was able to so quickly adapt and, you know, he says that he turns her away, she gets off of him because he says he loves Ygritte. Mm-hmm. For her to then use Ygritte's line is just like, okay, they're, they're, they're going to, she very clearly is, is uh, what's the word? She's on the attack. She is. Uh, she's on the prowl. Well, I mean, it's for a purpose. We don't quite understand it. And we spoke at length in our last episode about 
the plight of Roller's people and what it means for the overall arc of the story. And mm-hmm. we've it's hard to say because these episodes are, are, are different than the ones we make in the book. Obviously, depending on the chapters that we're reading in the off-season, which is the on-season, um, sometimes we, we dive deep into this sort of overall feeling of ice and fire after all the story is named a song of ice and fire and if the people that we've seen that reside north of the wall these these beings are this embodiment of that half and if roller the red god etc all of this sort of eastern magic and the way it's infiltrating in our current characters lives represents that half of it can we look at her and assume that all of this is terrible? We can't really use her her ceremonies as a reason for it to be bad because it kills because everyone kills. Just right. that's just this is the world. This is this is what's happening. It's 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 rough. It's dangerous. And who are we to judge? That being said, it just I don't know. It was it was light in some situations. You know when she he says I don't think Stannis would like that very much. You know she gives that little then we shouldn't tell him, which is just it feels like it's very modern with Stannis having these moments that are bringing him so much closer to our hearts. They didn't have to put in the scene of him and Shireen oh, being daddy. daughter and father daddy. for what we can assume is the first time. <laughs> this sounded like a very fresh conversation, not something that they were recanting. Like this seemed like the first time they kind of had a heart to heart when it came to her grayscale when we spoke of that story. Yeah, she has she outright asked her father if he is ashamed of her, right, or even loves her. Absolutely, and that's just all of this is coming to a head. This was such a powerful episode and had so many implications. The the talk of the tourney, the mentions of Rhaegar, these hints toward the parentage of Jon Snow, talking about his power, coupling that with the shot we saw last week of him in the shadow, coupling that to feeling a different kind of person when he decided oh, to go through with the execution. Nice. All of this is all of this is relevant. All of it means something. And we're only four episodes in, so we don't quite understand it yet. And the beautiful thing about how congruent of a story they're building throughout the season, it seems, is that finally, you know, once the 10th episode airs, I think we'll understand so much of it completely at least enough to get us confidently ready for the next season. So, well, a little throwback to Blackwater too. I mean, Melisandre told Stannis that uh, he, re- well, she reminded him that he left her behind uh, for Blackwater, and didn't she say like, "Don't do that this time." Yeah, like you should, you should probably take me with you. So it's it's weird if she's I don't want to say jump sides, but she's expecting to still be part of the action uh, when they get to Winterfell. It's very interesting, sort of last moments of. Uh, Stannis at Castle Black and Shireen uh, is just being, you know, sort of dragged along and she doesn't know for what purpose. And Stannis may not even know what that is, but it's, it's an, it was, it was really interesting scene. Stannis is not a loving father, but he really was (laughs) for once. He was the Manus in that situation for me. And I, I just think it was a, Amazing acting job by Carrie Ingram Absolutely. in particular. She's done an amazing job with the very few scenes that we've seen her in, whether you're talking about her and, and Liam Cunningham or, or her right. and the actress who plays Gilly, who I'm, her name is escaping me right now. But I just think that that particular moment between her and Stannis, it, it's meant to really strike a chord with you because here is a character who – You've developed a lot of respect for, but we know 
the status that we've read about is not the same status that we see on screen. And so to have that de-icing in a way of mm. a hardened character to see him with his daughter and uh, a child that he actually, at the end of the day, does care about. It's it's a really heartwarming story that he tells about, well, at least not the first part. That's not very heartwarming. But <laughs> you know, what he goes into in more detail uh, after he talks about uh, was it some Dornish trader who came and yeah. gave them this wooden doll and, and how you know, new fathers are, are susceptible to these types of situations. And he was one of them. And, and this doll was carrying grayscale on it uh, from the stone men uh, out east. And it, you know, it basically uh, he would stop at nothing to try and cure her because she was Princess Shireen Baratheon. And... You are my daughter. Exactly. How many times have we heard in this show somebody say, you are my son? Tywin comes Tywin. to mind. Yeah, and well, foremost. and Tywin also had a moment with a kid. I mean, Arya was his cupbearer in season, was it two? Yes. Uh, at Harrenhal. And that was sort of a humanizing moment for, for, for Tywin because he had been the parents of Jaime and Cersei, but hell, that was so many years ago. You know, it's 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 was interesting to see him react to a child. Just mm -hmm. now, it's interesting to see Stannis react to his daughter and kind of try and uh, make her feel better about the fact that she had to be dragged along. That she's that she's going to be there. She's going to witness his war for mm. sort of an unknown it's also reason. Interesting to me, though, that now in two straight episodes they've brought up Grayscale and the Stone Men. Tyrion yeah. uh, mentioned it when they were in Volantis. They were watching the Red Priestess. And then it was also uh, a topic in this episode as well. So uh, I know that things oftentimes don't go not with our precious screen mentioned time. <laughs> for no reason, unfulfilled. Uh, yeah, and so wondering how that's going to play into this season and and what that all means. All of this is so heavy. It's so important. Yeah, we were talking about how this episode refers back to so much history and how it's just giving us all this perspective and thickening the plot and offering us building blocks for what's to come. Getting a character like Stannis Baratheon, first of his name, to directly reference the ruins of Valyria where the doom took place, this this past history, and we know how history works. It, it is the backbone and spine that leads to whatever the future is, and we're very much living in this world. Like we mentioned before, we're 19 years past Lord Wentz Turney, and... Stannis Baratheon's daughter got grayscale. And whatever this sickness ends up being, whatever the importance is in our current storyline, because obviously it's going to have some kind of importance after these references, mm -hmm. I think it's going to be very interesting. The fact that he stood up and said no to everyone. Or he said, I told them all to go to hell. Yeah. Not because, you know, because you were the princess Shireen of House Baratheon, you know, like, and you are my daughter. And they hug. <laughs> And he hugs her back, and we feel this. It's just kind of. Well, you yeah. know, it, there was a pause for a moment. It's like in his he way. was considering, <laughs> "Am I the bad guy in the show?" Hmm, I don't know. Maybe not. I, I think is that is that. I mean, that's a practice too, right? Endearing characters to the audience before they die. It is. Do you think it is? Like that, Stannis is just gonna. Yeah, I don't like these signs. I mean, I, I think I think the question when we didn't see Brienne in this episode, which is which is good because I'm I'm kind of upset with her because of her. Sworn duty to, to avenge <laughs> Renly. I don't want to see her until after the Boltons are killed. Like I don't. I don't want to. I'm. I'm not. I'm not interested in her killing Stannis before he gets revenge for the Starks. That could be a ruse as well, though, Eric. I mean, it's just. It's yeah. just. There's. 
it, it's a tough call because it's so up in the air. You're right. It, it really is. And I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm kind of just stuck on this and the implications for what grayscale are going to mean. It's just it, all of it's just, I don't know. I don't, it, it's all in game and it's just, it seems in gaming mm. to me. So the stone men, it's funny because the term stone men too, like, I always think of stone masons. That's just people who work with stone. But stone man is like a colony of the people with this plague, right? Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it's, imagine that yeah. This, this has taken over their body. Right. What is this? Why has it happened? And what mm-hmm. kind of people are they? If they are living in, let's say their lives are shorter, like are they're bre- breeding stone men. Like how does this, there's so much here. <laughs> Honestly, it's just, holy fuck. Are they n- well, near the winged men? <laughs> I can't say anything. Oh, Micah. Micah, you have this... Are you living with this information? I don't have the answer to really any of those questions, but it it does play a role a bit in this season, I would think, if that's the direction that they're going in. Mm. I hate to be vague, but... No, it's, oh, I love, when, I love it when you're vague. I prefer you vague. I prefer you vague as well, Micah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, just know that it's important, otherwise they wouldn't keep mentioning it. Clearly, our story is moving forward. The simple fact that we now have a timestamp, a few weeks, until the snows of winter officially reach the wall. Mm. The winds of winter are moving. How eerie is it that we're in the television show right now and winter is coming? We can assume there's a few seasons left. We know that a book is on its way. Mm-hmm. Winter is actually coming, guys, and they have to leave the wall to beat it. To get away from the snows. I mean, it's not its not that we have the threat of mance coming on the wall right now. Winter is coming. And what comes with that snow and what comes with that winter? Yeah. Holy. Bad, terrible things. Just in the preview, they showed Tormund, and I want to see Tormund. I want to see the wildlings and all 100,000 of them that are looking to get south if they get south before the snow. You know, what sort of John's whole thing will be. Um you know, in terms of will he unite them? Will he go south? Because so many people are asking him to go and partake in this huge uh, witch hunt for the Boltons in the north. Get out of your frozen castle, right? It's going to be frozen yeah. soon. And he needs men. I mean, that's made evident when he's signing those papers with his Lord Commander signature. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> of course, the one that comes up that we all – knew were probably going to come up was that of Roose Bolton. And Sam saved the best for last, sure didn't did. he? We can certainly <laughs> understand why. He doesn't want to request men from the man responsible for his brother's death, but I think that's yet again John acting as Lord Commander. Right, and doing what must be done. But not all that dissimilar from what Sansa did when she first met Roose Bolton. And I think they're in their own way each playing this game. And I know we'll talk more about Sansa and her journey to the crypts of Winterfell Ugh. on our episode later on this week. There's there's so much more to talk about, not only in the things that we discussed tonight, but in the scenes that we've yet to reach, perhaps King's Landing, meeting with a sparrow, yeah. uh, angry the faith, faith militant. militant. Faith militant. Uh, Question you got to ask yourselves regarding those guys is, why is the ale gone? That's true. They had to get they rid of all the rum. apparently. Brad Pitt made a cameo appearance carving the seven on the forehead of people. Oh, gosh. A la Glorious Bastards. It was just full of it. There's lots to talk about. Have we reached that point in the episode where we get we get to uh, assign our owns? Yes, let us assign our owns. Although I think Zach gave his during the uh, yes. discussion. Yes, what do you think, Zach? Has it held up? Is it the same? Um, 
I hate to change it. <laughs> I think I am. So you got you got to Oh, you are. Wow. You got to All right. <laughs> but this is it. You can't change it after this moment. This is history. This is podcast history right now. Gone but not forgotten. I will change my own to this. The North Room. This is from Braun, Sir Braun, two knights walking to Adorn. What happens? They're peering over the grassy slope and in in comes four Dornish men on horses. Braun aptly titles their scene fucked in the ass <laughs> i loved it he's just like oh fucked in the ass. so you changed your own but not the person who gave it i mean what or said it i should say what could be more proper to say when you have to fight four people for your life on a, any given yeah. morning just oh, shit. a lot of people being outnumbered in, in this ass. episode I know this you know bad. uh my own's not far away it also goes to Braun, and it's for that line and the stab Breakfast. Yeah. And he kills the snake. Yeah. So he's saving Jamie's life from men and other creatures, other assorted woodland creatures, uh, or desert creatures, uh, who would see him dead. So Bronn is is a is a Lannister uh swordsman. <laughs> uh, through through and through. He's doing well. He's doing well for himself. My own originally was gonna go to just the overall scene between Stannis and Shireen. Yeah. Oh. But I decided to change my mind, and I know it's not something we talked about, but we'll talk about it next episode. But I really thought that Cersei owned the Tyrells. Oh, yeah. God, yes. Massively oh, in this man. episode. Oh, man. She cleaned house in a matter of 15 minutes. It's and- amazing how quickly, through the faith, mm-hmm. like my my faith in Cersei has been restored. I didn't know where that was going at all. But through and the she faith, was she very, was very to- smart in yeah. that she sent away their father. Yeah, the CEO mm-hmm. of Mace Hardware. Who's going to run the business now? <laughs> <laughs> Send him away with Marin fucking I'm not Trump. feeling too right? comfortable for him. <sighs> Maybe he's going to come back on like an undercover boss episode. <laughs> see see how they're running things without him. <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, he's yeah, like, I'll yeah. give my regards to the Titan of Bravos for you. It's like, oh, oh man. Gosh. Yes, no. Good guy. Cersei, oh, no. I agree, my good. That's, she That's good. really was a was major in this episode. I find myself filled with regret after we've given our owns. This is a hurdle mm-hmm. across. It feels good, but I find myself, it's just, I know that we spoke so much of Sir Barristan Selmy early on, but yeah. uh, the good that he did with that, with that sword in his hand before all things went sour. That was, that was worthy. I'm going to live vicariously through all of you tweeting in. That's, that's the plan. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. That's always, that's always oh. what we look most forward You've to. You've answered the call. Micah tweeted live. And as are you still, we're ages into recording this episode. Uh, again, another very fun conversation with my friends. Uh, mm-hmm. Nice way to spend a Sunday evening after enjoying this this thing that we all share together. And it feels wonderful sharing it with all of you, the hundreds of you participating in our social media during these fun thousands. events. The thousands. Okay, <laughs> the thousands. And everyone showed up in grand fashion. We look forward to diving into these opening another what was it what we called a satchel yes on this week's following episode it's gonna be fun yeah the uh the satchel of owns is slowly starting to be replenished we got a lot of owns in uh during tonight's episode so much so that i think it broke twitter at one point um we're still confirming that but (laughs) there are a uh a number of ways that uh, you can submit your owns uh, the least of which is not on Twitter at Game of Owns, but we also have a Facebook wall where a number of you are scrawling upon our wall right underneath that great picture of hmm. Sir Bronn. 
And, and we're also about to elect a new Lord Commander for our wall. So, oh, yeah. is that right? Keep a look on that. I don't think so. Sam's out. It sounded cool though. <laughs> that, that sounded amazingly cool. I was like really excited. We're gonna have an election ceremony. It's gonna be amazing. There's gonna be circles and squares. Jeff and Probst is gonna host it. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna, gonna be, be awesome. beautiful. Now that's the thing that we have to do. Well, Sam, head over to patreoncom goo. Maybe it'll, it'll it'll be a reality. And if you'd also like to, you can email us contact at gameofowns.com. We had three really great emails uh, that we read on our last episode, so uh, feel free to reach out to us that way. Uh, we always look forward to hearing what you have to say, no matter how you go about contacting us. Our email inbox stays rather full, and we do peer through, thumb through all of your correspondence. Sometimes we have time to write glowing replies. Sometimes uh, little inside jokes get shared. Just in general, it's it's really comforting to uh, to get those long-form uh, bits of uh, information from all of you guys. It's nice to know that uh, so many of you are paying so much attention. And uh, I've noticed that we've been getting a, a really nice influx of my first own emails. So that's also yeah. very heartwarming. Yeah, keep those coming, definitely. Yeah, I saw a few of those uh, actually tweeted in. I like that. Oh. So you know how in this episode we found out uh, about, well, we actually met some of Oberyn's daughters, but he may have more, and that the the full Oberyn experience is sure to be something that is in the books. Well, I'm going to make a parable now, or an allegory, or a ca- uh, comparison between the Sand Snakes that we met in this uh, episode and the full lot of them, uh, which exist, there is more of this show than meets the common eye. There are more to what Zach and Micah and I do than is uh, presently available on our iTunes feed. Um, there is slightly, slightly more available to the more dedicated uh, listeners of ours who have been to our Patreon and familiarized themselves with our uh, tiers and plans and things like that. And they join us on some bonus content that we enjoy. We have a lot of fun putting it together. Um, and if that is something that you think you might be interested in hearing from us, it's Micah, Zach, and myself, uh, additional content for our supporters. We really, uh, thank everybody who has supported us and we'd like you to check that out over at patreon.com slash goo. And if you're not yet subscribed to our show on iTunes, I kindly ask, what are you doing, Micah? They clearly need to make sure that they subscribe to us on iTunes. And while they're there, they can leave us a rate and review. In the month of May, nothing less than five stars is acceptable. Nothing less. If you're a first-time listener and wonder why we're saying this, just roll with it. If you're a returning listener, (laughs) you know well enough by now. We do appreciate, though, you leaving us a review over on iTunes Especially during the season, it is a great way for others to find out that we exist. I think that's all we have for today, tonight. Our minds are reeling. Our bodies were not ready. I don't think my body will be ready. Rest in peace, Barristan Selmy. I hope that Maester Kyburn rescues you from this tormented abyss of the only battle, which is life and death. There's so much more to talk about uh, on this particular episode, but... For the time being, we have to leave you. But unlike Sir Barristan, we will be back later in the week. Oh. That hurts, Micah.
you know, Littlefinger makes me think of Butterfinger. You guys ever notice that? <laughs> Same syllables. I've never once thought that, but now I will. Crispity, crunchity, Littlefinger. Nobody better lay a finger <laughs> on my, my Littlefinger. Little finger. 